0: chapter fifteen of red diamonds by justin mccarthy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by caroline chapter fifteen herb of grace most people in chelsea knew mrs Boringer's shop in the queen's road many a stranger was purposely brought to see the shop mrs Boringer was a remarkable woman she was calmly conscious of the fact and calmly satisfied with the fact some of her friends said that she had a face like a horse she knew that they said so and she knew also that there was a certain felicity of description in what they said but she did not mind in the least what has that got to do with my own ability in my own particular line she would ask and the argument was really unanswerable what had mrs Boringer's greater or less degree of facial resemblance to a horse to do with her ability in her particular line mrs Boringer's particular line was herbs she was a herbalist she believed fanatically in the amelioration of mankind through the properties juices and essences of herbs and to further that amelioration she kept a herbalist's shop in the queen's road chelsea almost exactly opposite of the gate of chelsea hospital there was no special reason why mrs Boringer should keep a shop of any kind whether a herbalist's or another but she kept it on principle very much as lady scardale kept the culture college lady scardale looks after people's minds mrs Boringer said i look after their bodies. that's the chief difference between us naturally lady scardale and mrs Boringer were excellent friends it would have made no whit of difference to lady scardale whether mrs borringer had or had not been a regular shopkeeper come from the class of people to whom the keeping of small shops is the express business of life lady scardale was honestly democratic in her heart as well as in her theories and would have welcomed the society of a chimney-sweep if that chimney-sweep had anything interesting to say for himself or any suggestion to make about the improvement of the chimneys in the homes of the poor but mrs borringer did not belong to the class of people to whom the keeping of shops Seems to be the preordained business of life. She believed in the healing grace of herbs, and it seemed to her after due reflection that the best way of disseminating that belief was by taking a small shop and encouraging through her personal practice and example the sale of herbs. There are many occupations far more disagreeable than the sale of herbs the sale of herbs is a clean business it is dry it is somewhat sweet-smelling it brings its practitioner in a pleasant way in touch with the mysterious forces of nature and the regenerating strength of the mother earth one learns an infinite variety of pleasing secrets in the study of herbs one stores the chambers of the mind with a variety of quaint and delightful names of plants the names that figure in the shepherd's calendar and that are so many thousand times more delightful than the rigid latin names of the scholar here were to be found specimens of almost every herb under the hoop of heaven dried in bundles powdered in packages inspissated in syrups there were the dried roots of the marshmallow whose pale purple petals tell of august and the autumn in regions of salt marshes there was the shrubby stalk of the garden sage in whose medicinal qualities mrs Boringer believed as firmly as the chinese believe here were masses of the acrid ruse that mithridates believed and learned doctors since the king of pontus believe to possess the power of resisting the action of poisons and believe inaccurately here were specimens of such quaintly named plants as solomon's seal and virgin's bower and palma Christi here was masterwort fragrant to smell pungent to taste masterwort which in earlier and simpler days was known as the divine remedy so excellent was it esteemed here was holy thistle which of old its admirers called benedictus for its supposed astonishing virtues here in mrs borringer's shop the leaves of the noble laurel aroused no thoughts of apollo but were regarded solely as the materials for the manufacture of laurel tea here were the flowers of ladies smock which is also called the cuckoo flower and the leaves of the ground ivy excellent for infusion and the dried seeds of pimento and the dried leaves of hemlock hidden away from the light and the dried roots of the christmas rose or black hellebore and the dried leaves of the deadly foxglove and its less deadly cousin the hedge hyssop to the student mrs Boringer's shop presented a kind of condensation of the world he might drift back from shelf to shelf to the very dawn of science her little shop in the queen's road was a very miracle of old-fashioned neatness it was not in the least like a modern shop it might have belonged to some country town in the middle of the last century it might almost have nestled in the arcades of some mediaeval italian city Except perhaps that its pervading and almost delicate neatness gave its old-fashioned air an especially English complexion, Mrs. Boringer's shop was not in the least like the shop of the apothecary whom young Romeo visited on a memorable and melancholy occasion. It was exquisitely clean, ineffably orderly outside it was painted in a lightish shade of green suggestive of early spring chosen perhaps partly as pointing a moral between the dry mummied condition of the plants that were arranged behind the pines and along the internal shelves partly as if in some measure to console the very plants by reminding them of the woodlands and the meadows the heaths and uplands from which they had been called away to aid through the supple chemistry of nature in the healing of afflicted mankind within the window were arranged even a raid for the business was managed with an eye to the picturesque any quantity of dried plants bundles of mysterious twigs shrivelled bulbs and withered grasses all presenting to the gaze of the inexperienced a medley of worthless weeds but to mrs borringer and those who shared in the wonders of her art they were full of deep meaning and of indefinite consolation inside the little shop was all shelves and cupboards and diminutive drawers there was a neat little counter which was always covered with packages of seeds and specimens of preserved herbs strong-smelling spices and sweet-smelling lavender masses of theme and rue and rosemary it was the most curious shop to enter for the atmosphere was very strange faintly sweet subtle and almost heady it was like entering some tomb some eastern tomb where the mummied body of a pharaoh lay steeped in the strongest spices to await the summons of osiris yet there was something balsamic in it too something that was almost as tonic and invigorating as the slight wind that stirs faintly among the pine-trees in a land of coniferous hills. There were elements of perfume in that blended air, which came from plants grown in no English garden, from simples gathered on no English hill the learned botanist could have guessed by his sense of smell what a frequent inspection of the contents of certain of the shelves and drawers would have confirmed that many of the dried plants that lay there colourless had first waxed to perfection in the luxurious darkness of tropic jungles or beneath the heat of tropic suns the tropic element in this English herbarium was no difficult of explanation to any one who knew anything about it, and Mrs. Boringer it was due to Mr. Boringer, not to the Mr. Boringer who had given Mrs. Boringer his name so many years ago, down in that quiet Surrey village where he and she first breathed the air. Not that, Mr Boringer, now dead and buried this many a year, and sleeping his last sleep in the quiet Chelsea churchyard, but his brother, Mr Boringer, the sailor, as he was still called by old fashioned friends, in the vicinity of Godalming and Guildford, a persistent skimmer of the seas there was an element of romance about mrs Boringer's career there was an element of romance about the career of skipper borringer this latter fact is not surprising to be a sailor is to be ex officio as it were romantic to be free of a wider world than that of common folks who stop at home and sleep slug a bed upon the stable earth but Mrs. Boringer, who sold herbs in a shop in Queens Road, there did not seem at first to be anything very romantic about her. But she had had her romance, and a not-incurious one. A generation earlier she was Susan Gammell, the very fresh, very plump, very pretty twenty-year-old daughter of a well-to-do farmer, who was almost, but not quite, a gentleman farmer in that rich and pleasant land of surrey which lies below the hawk's back his farm lay but a mile or two from goldaming hard by the winding way perhaps farming was a better thing then than it is now certainly it proved profitable in farmer gammel's hands and he had plenty of money in the bank and plenty of money to spend upon his daughter and only child mr Gammel was a widower and he adored susan as only a lovable man can love an only child nothing was too good for her and so it happened that susan got a very much better education than was the lot of even well-to-do farmers daughters thirty years ago but if Farmer Gammel was fortunate, there were fellow farmers who were not so fortunate, and Farmer Boringer was one of these. The Boringer farm paid its way and fed and clothed its owners, but that was all it did, and the Boringer family was unlike the Gammel family, for Farmer Boringer's wife was alive and thriving, and Farmer Boringer had two sons those two sons were both young men one was nineteen and the other twenty and they both did as they were destined to do and as it was indeed their duty to do they both fell in love with susan Gemmill. susan gamel did her duty in falling in love with one of them they were different the two brothers andrew the elder was quiet steady solid a slow learner and slow thinker, but what he thought he thought well, and what he learned he learned well. Hiram, the younger, was very different. He was a lively country lad, even a bit wild, very good-looking, a great hand at all rural sports, a great hero at all rural festivities. It would be only natural for a girl to fall in love with the idle apprentice instead of the industrious, but Susan was independent even as a young girl, and she fell in love with Andrew Boringer to his calm satisfaction and the very bitter and very real despair of Hiram. It was late one summer evening that Hiram leaning over a stile that led into the Gamel acres told susan of his love and learned to his surprise and sorrow that she was already plied to his brother andrew is there no hope for me he asked wildly none she answered then he bade her good-bye very gravely and sadly ''I shan't see you again,'' he said, ''at least not for a while. This bit of earth don't suit me after this, and I'll try something else.'' He pressed her hand warmly, ran along the path through the field they had just traversed, and disappeared behind the hedge of alders. She did not see him again for fifteen years. Hiram had a little money, a few pounds of his own, and he and his few pounds disappeared together. He left a note behind to his brother, saying that he was tired of England, and intended to try foreign parts. Andrew sighed over his roving disposition, shook his head when he talked of it to Susan, and wondered what his reason could be. Susan professed wonder also, but seemed unable to enlighten him. Then Andrew, having proposed for Susan's hand and being accepted, repeated his proposal formally to Farmer Gammel, and was as formally, but most decisively rejected. Old gammel was as obstinate as a mule when he liked, and in this matter of the marriage he seemed inflexible. Susan took his refusal, as she took everything in life, with composure. Luckily, composure was also the principal element in her lover's composition. We must wait, Susan said, and Andrew agreed, and they did wait. Other suitors came in and offered themselves to Susan, suitors upon whom old Gammel looked with a favoring eye, but one and all Susan politely showed to the farm-door. If her father was obstinate, so was she. She would not marry Andrew without her father's consent, though she was five-and-twenty, but she would marry nobody else so things drifted on through five summers and winters she and andrew met occasionally but not very often each was perfectly devoted to the other both did their appointed work with a patience that had about it an antique dignity they knew how to wait and to wait without wailing after five years farmer Gammel took to his bed and being sick felt sorrow for his stubbornness and gave his long-delayed consent both susan and her lover accepted their good fortune with a decent joy but before they could be married farmer gamel died and was buried and susan was rigid as indeed andrew would have expected and desired her to be about the due observance of the proper period of mourning for a year each remained almost as distant as before he the head of his little farm she the head of her great farm but the year came to an end and ended the patient waiting of these exemplary lovers they were married in godalming church and the head of the house of raven gave away the bride and andrew came cross from his little farm to settle down as the master of the big farm he was the master in name and the master indeed, but he never took a step without consulting his wife and he never disregarded her advice but once when he rode to hounds on a horse which she misdoubted and the horse fell at a fence and threw him he never recovered from the effects of the fall and he died and left susan a widow with one little girl lydia ten years after they were married in godalming church his widow mourned for him deeply but she kept her sorrow stoutly to herself devoted herself to her little girl and carried on her farm so well that no one who worked upon it missed the hand of andrew boringer fifteen months after andrew's death a man came to the garden gate and looked in he was burnt a brown red his crisp black hair and beard had streaks of grey in them his eyes were very bright and the backs of his big brown hands had tattoo marks on them Mrs. Boringer, seated in the window arranging herbs, nodded pleasantly to him. "'Good evening, Hiram,' she said, just as she had said at any time before that evening when he disappeared behind the alders. And Hiram came in and explained himself. "'He had been to sea, he had been in all parts of the world— he had turned his hand to anything that was honest and hard to do and everything had gone well with him he had found gold in australia and silver in bella nevada and rubies in burma and diamonds at the cape he had always loved the sea ever since the days when as a lad he used to tramp along the portsmouth road mile after mile without conscious fatigue for the pleasure of seeing the great ships and the great grey water when he ran away from england and his grief he was too old to enter either the royal navy or the merchant service but he worked his way to south america and happened to do well there and bit by bit he earned enough and learned enough to buy a vessel of his own and go where he pleased with her he was now only forty years old but he was in his way a rich man with interest of all kinds in all parts of the world but though he was rich enough to live in park lane if he pleased though he had accounts in half a dozen banks any one of which represented in itself a comfortable little fortune he had always looked like what he was and what he wanted to be the master of a ship i am a trader he would say and he was proud of it as a matter of fact he was something more than a trader he was an explorer and he had distinguished himself in an arctic expedition which he carried out at his own expense and which had earned him an honourable reputation in the world of wanderers and an election to the membership of the voyagers club he had been in china travelling in the interior when he heard of his brother's death at that time the news was half a year old as soon as he could he started to return home but it is not so easy to leave the interior of china at a moment's notice as it is to return say from paris to london his expedition had trouble with robbers trouble with fever trouble with false guides it took him some time to get out of china and then more time to get home so that mrs Boringer was fifteen months a widow when hiram arrived at the gate hiram's purpose was simple enough he told mrs Boringer that he loved her still that if she thought it right he would gladly marry her such a marriage he explained was customary enough in many countries but mrs Boringer did not like it it may be customary elsewhere she said but it isn't here and if it were i wouldn't which slightly incoherent statement skipper Boringer wisely took to be final then he inquired delicately enough if she needed anything and ascertained to his half regretful satisfaction that she was well provided for and that there was nothing he could do for her but he gave her many rare and precious gifts from the stores of his explorations declared that lydia was just what her mother was at her age lydia was then ten and finally after a residence of a couple of months at godalming Announced that he was to do in New Guinea on an ethnological expedition, so he said good-bye and departed. Skipper Boringer went his wild way, going down to the seas in his ship and sailing those seas to all manner of distant and wonderful ports. Mrs. Boringer went her way, coming to London. she was determined that her daughter lydia should have the best education that could be got for her and lady scardale's culture college seemed to afford the desired opportunity lady scardale stopping at home raven once had heard of mrs Boringer and had sought her out as she always sought out people of originality people with strength of character she had liked Mrs. Boringer, and Mrs. Boringer liked her, and she had talked of her college scheme to Mrs. Boringer, and Mrs. Boringer had applauded the idea. So when the culture college was fairly started, Mrs. Boringer resolved that it should include Lydia among its disciples. She put the farm into careful hands, and securing the payment of a large and regular rent, she invaded London but mrs Boringer was not a woman to be idle even in london hence the shop she had always from her youngest days been deeply interested in the study of herbs and simples and their properties and she resolved now that she would apply that knowledge to some purpose the little shop in the queen's road was to let mrs Boringer took it as it stood lived with her daughter in the upper part, and converted the lower part into a herbarium. Lisbeth, an elderly woman from the farm who shared her mistress's tastes and much of her knowledge, looked after the shop under Mrs. Boringer's supervision, while Lydia attended the culture college. All were supremely happy. End of CHAPTER Fifteen.